Are you okay? I'm not. This is just to say I'm thinking of you, dear reader, in a time when everything feels breakable. Are you holding it together? I'm not. Most days I struggle with grief and rage. I often cover my face with my hands. My fingers keep closing into fists. What is happening to me? To us? Maybe you're like me, afraid, anxious, nervous, or feeling whatever else you call that paralyzing sensation that radiates from below the rib cage up into your chest. You can't stop worrying about all you have left to lose. And you think you might be losing your mind. I find myself experiencing this mental health decline even though I haven't fallen gravely ill or lost my job or my home or been trapped in a long-term care facility or endured any of the other major tribulations that currently afflict tens of millions of my fellow Americans. And so I wonder, if the pandemic is this bad for me, how much worse is it for you? When this is over, we will all need help. We already do now. Some of us will get it, most will not, whether for lack of time, money, or motivation. There aren't enough counselors anyways to sift through the layers of mental and emotional wreckage and give us all the attention we need. Any counselor doing the job now will also need treatment, like an army medic wounded in battle. There are def deficits everywhere, seen and unseen. Deficits of money, deficits of routine medical and dental care, deficits of education, deficits of sleep. Rest, productivity, and lucid concentration. Deficits of love or human touch. Deficits of eye contact. Deficits of joy, laughter, of time with friends at the coffee shop or on the basketball court. Deficits of quiet solitude for overworked parents, of children's laughter for lonely grandparents. And all of these unpaid bills will come due, some right away, some a year or a decade from now. One way or another, all of us will pay. Our weaknesses weaker. Our minds constantly wandering. Does your imagination go to strange places after breakfast or before dinner? In the middle of a restless night, are, you, are your failures and regrets playing back in a high-definition theater of guilt? Maybe that's just me. I am thinking of one more deficit, another unmet need, that too many people are grieving the loss of loved ones unable to hold a proper funeral. Too often, this grief is unnoticed. Our COVID-19 death toll may reach a half a million by next month, larger than the population of Atlanta. Imagine that, my favorite city with everyone gone. Now, see, you know I didn't write this because you're thinking, Don, Pastor Don's favorite city is Atlanta, Georgia? I thought it was Landers, California. Well, let me finish this.
Imagine that. My favorite city with everyone gone. Five Point Station, deserted. The playground empty at Centennial Olympic Park. Half a million people dead. And the rest of us damaged in ways we don't yet understand. One year after the nation's first confirmed coronavirus infection, there are, there are reasons for optimism. New cases are decreasing. Vaccinations have begun. Our new president has promised 100 million shots in the first 100 days. In the meantime, we must forgive ourselves for doing a little less. It's okay to soothe yourself with television. It's okay not to clean the house today. It's okay to have breakfast for dinner. It's okay to not be okay. There are things we can do to help ourselves and each other. Tell your friends you love them. Tell them your troubles and listen to theirs. Show up for those family Zoom calls, whether you feel like it or not. This will get better. First, it may get worse. Keep going, though. Hold on to someone or something, if only a thread of hope. Reach out to the lonely and reach out if you're alone. We are far apart, but the distance is shrinking. One day we can all be broken together. That's from an essay by Thomas Lake, who writes a series called The Distance, focusing on stories of Americans in the pandemic. I hope he gets better. He's a brave man for bearing his weakness to the public. But I'll repeat this last line of his essay. One day we can all be broken together. Well, that's the Christian church, isn't it? That's been the Christian church since the day Jesus called Simon and Andrew to drop their fishing nets and follow him. We're broken together. And when we come together from this pandemic, we'll still be broken. Because of sin, we're often afraid and anxious and nervous, pandemic or no pandemic. We're often afraid, anxious, and, nerv and nervous whether there's civil upheaval or peace. We're afraid, anxious, and nervous in the midst of a disaster or whether there's no disaster. Now, I have to say, in case you're wondering, as for myself, I may be broken, but unlike Thomas Lake, I'm holding it together, which is more than some of my colleagues in the ministry who had a very hard Christmas and New Year, and they feel that they're at the end of their ropes with their church. We will pray for all of them in Circuit 7 and Circuit 9 in our prayers. It hasn't always been easy here either this past year, but I'm not at the end of my rope, okay? Thanks to God and the fact that you all have been so patient and understanding and gracious this whole time. And I know it hasn't been easy for you either. By the grace of God, we continue living as we are called. Paul says in our epistle text today, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him and her. The context here is Paul is making the point to these new 
Christians in Corinth that Christ has called them out of their previous existence as fornicators and drunkards and swindlers to, you know, you know slaves, uh, slaves of, of bondage to sin to members of a new household, God's household, of people who are free from the bondage of sin and free to live new lives in Christ. So he says, this is the rule in all the churches. You knew the church had rules, didn't you? We got all these rules, don't we? No, not really. We, we just want to be faithful to the Word of God. And, and what Paul says when he means, this is my rule in all the churches, what he means is that this teaching is consistent across the churches whom he has visited and whom they are now sharing this faith, right? It, it's not as if the, Christ, the Christians in Corinth are to live as they are called, but the Christians in Ephesus are to, are to all be called to be traveling missionaries like Paul. No, it's that all Christians are called to their various stations in life. Their fathers, mothers, teachers, merchants, farmers, fishermen, builders, what have you. It's the same for you and me all these years after Paul wrote this. Our life in Christ doesn't cancel one's place in society. It transforms the way we view it and practice it. It's something I wish I had known about when I was in school, particularly high school. All four years in high school, my, I had my eyes set on the Air Force, which was a good goal to have, but I saw school as an overly long and unnecessary delay to where I wanted to be. And so I just did not want to be there, which, you know, was, caused me to inflict suffering on myself. You know, my grades were bad. I couldn't pay attention. I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to do any of that. But if I had had Christ at the time, perhaps I would have known better that being a student is what God called me had to be, God called me to be at that moment. That was my vocation. You know, we can be doing the most mundane things. You know, cleaning the kitchen, cleaning up the, the kitchen after supper, changing a diaper, right? Taking out the trash. And you're thinking, man, what a waste of time. If I could just be doing something with my life that's more meaningful. But God calls you and me to do important things for others at those moments. So whatever you're doing at the moment, that is your vocation. Now, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to check everybody for that. I'm not going to check all the men for that, right? You know, what on earth does this have to do with anything, especially us today? Well, for those early Christians in Judea and Asia, circumcision remained a hot topic for a long time. You know, when, when Jews, males, would convert to Christ. It's like, well, do I uncircumcise myself or should I remain circumcised? They, you know, there was all these questions. Should, should pagans that now live in Christ, should they be circumcised or shouldn't they? I mean, this, this went on for a long time. Paul addresses this. He says, outward appearances have no bearing on salvation because the agreement with God and his people that the men be circumcised is no longer binding. Christ has fulfilled 
that requirement. Same if your status is a slave. I mean a literal slave. Right? Now the word slave to us is, is charged with negative connotations, right? Because of our national and cultural history. And, and I'm not here to tell you that slavery was something wonderful in Paul's day either. It wasn't. It was bad then too. But there was a difference in that if you were a slave in the Greco-Roman Empire, it had little, do, little to do with race. I mean, you could be a Judean slave and be enslaved in a Judean household. And if you were a slave, you were considered to not be a person. You had no citizenship. You were a piece of property, a tool for the purpose of producing or serving. So, yeah, slavery was not a good thing in Jesus' time either. If you were a lazy, disobedient slave, your life was miserable. You could suffer under constant oppression or suppression and cruelty. If you were a slave, however, who did their best and had the best interests of your master and his household at heart and was on his good side, you could experience varying degrees of independence even up to the point of being able to live as a free person. Even as a slave. So we hear about this type of slave quite a bit in the New Testament. To be a slave was a vocation given by God. It wasn't a perfect thing. It's subject to sin and corruption in a fallen world, and obviously it was, all right? But it was a way for people to live and thrive in a fallen world, and it benefited society if it was carried out in a positive way. As a slave or a master, you could carry out the, the vocation in a positive way. So, whether you were a slave or a freedman, Paul says, don't be concerned about it. <laughs> whether you are a slave or free, you were bought you were bought with a price. Not by your slave master, but by one man, Jesus Christ, who bought your life with his own. So now you are free. Meaning, if you are in the servitude of a household, it won't be forever. In your resurrected state on the last day and forevermore after that, you will truly be a free human being. So whether you're married, whether you're not, whether you choose to be or not, whether you're free or a slave, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, let you and me remain with God. That's the point of Paul's letter to Corinth. You and I equally belong to our Creator and Redeemer. He unites us and brings us together, even now in our broken state as sinners. And He gives us new lives to live in Him. Only through Him can you and I hold it together through times like this and worse. Doesn't seem like it could get much worse than this, does it? Injustice, riots, fires, floods, insurrection, all in the middle of a global pandemic? 
Thank God we're not in the middle of a world war or a famine. Another thing that helps hold it together as Christians is knowing that this world as we know it, with all its problems, is passing away even as we sit here smiling at each other right now. It's passing away. It's coming to an end. And that's actually a comfort because remember, Jesus says, don't love this world too much. Don't try and hang on to it too much because it's slipping away from underneath us. It doesn't mean we just sit back and let everything go to hell in a handbasket, right? But we don't lose hope when things seem like they're not getting better and especially when we begin to think that God isn't interested in our plight. Maybe he doesn't care to do anything. He has. He has done something. In his son Jesus, he's ushered in his kingdom into this world, which is passing away, and a new one awaits us. In the meantime, we must forgive ourselves for doing a little less, because Christ has forgiven us for all of our shortcomings. It's okay to soothe yourself with television, especially if you participate in our worship services online. It's okay to not clean the house today, especially because today is the Sabbath for the Christian. It's okay to have breakfast for dinner. I just might make myself pancakes for dinner tonight myself. Anyone want to join me? Oh, I forgot. You can't come over. It's okay to not be okay. Because Christ holds us together even though we are far apart. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes all human understanding keep your hearts and minds holding it together in Jesus. Amen.